and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday just in time for a daily commute. I'm Jules Boyle and we're actually more handy today with the return of the Grand Overlord himself, Mr Johnny McFarlane, and our own young buck, Gaby Mackay. On the pod today we're going to be casting a snook over the weekend Scotland matches where the women's side took on the old enemy and Steve Clark's lads are up against the mighty Cyprus. It's not all international chat though, as with the news that Rangers are closing and Ryan Kent, we're going to have a wee look at just what options Stephen Gerrard could have up in the wing going into next season. Alright, well first up, we saw Shelley Kerr and her team out last night against England and well, it didn't end quite the way we all hoped, I think. There was a lot of positives to take for the game, which is, let's be honest, textbook Scotland, really. Um, first and foremost, obviously the big issue of the debate, um, was it a penalty, Johnny? Yes, it was quite clearly a penalty, under the new rules. Um, at the end of the day, if you now are in the box as a defender and you have your arms out and the ball hits them, it's going to be a penalty. Time to grow up, folks. This is the way of it. These are the rules. Go and read them. Done and dusted. Right. That is absolute nonsense. <laughs> right. Under the rules, is it a penalty? Yes. The rules are wrong. If that's a penalty under the rules, the rules I, are wrong. Are you trying to tell me you know about more about this game than IFAB and Pierluigi Colina? I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm trying to tell you if that's the rule they've come up with, it's wrong. It has The rule was always it has to be intentional handball. There's no way that's an intentional handball. So IFAB have come up with this new rule. They've changed it. W- was anyone consulted on this? IFAB, you know, the Scottish FA. So we can't complain because it's the Scottish FA are on it. So this isn't just a Scotland point. They've just come up with this arbitrary new rule that we've all got to follow where right. if it hits anyone's arm in the penalty area, if it's outside a natural silhouette, whatever that means, then... It's that's that's just a penalty now. Let's draw on the detail of this, right? Remember the situation where Rangers played Motherwell, the Michael Stewart biomechanics infamous incident, where the Motherwell defender threw his leg in and lifted both arms up in the box, right? Now, you could argue subjectively that that isn't deliberate handball because he didn't deliberately handle the ball, but he did deliberately throw his arms up in such a way that made himself... Much bigger. But that would fall under the old rule. The old rule isn't necessarily that you deliberately hand the ball, but if you make yourself bigger by deliberately putting your arms out, that's not what happened in this penalty on Sunday. Well, she didn't deliberately put her arm out to make a silhouette bigger. It was a natural motion and the ball hit her. It was the same in the Champions League final. The I, guy had his arm out pointing and the Mane played it off his arm. I think she carelessly allowed her arms to flail. And if you do that under these rules, okay, and, and I take your point that we're not arguing that. For me, what this does is this will increase the amount of tacking incident this will increase the amount of discussion because it'll more goals will happen there'll be more penalties but it's positive for attacking teams because the more you have the ball in the opposition third the more you throw balls into the box the more you attack the more likely you are to get a penalty this is positive for attacking forward thinking teams that want to entertain fans why Why is it a positive if we're getting more penalties given for handballs? It ruins games. It ruined that game on Sunday, getting an early penalty like England did. It ruined the game, it put them behind, it ruined the Champions League final. It's not a good thing for attacking football at all. It's just it's just a way of... All, if I, it gives you less incentive to be creative because all you have to do is just kick the ball on someone's arm in the box and it'll be a penalty. Who who decided this would happen? IFAB, some people in a room in Aberdeen one day. Who who elected these people? Who gave them this mandate? Them. <laughs> it's not. I'm being serious, it's a serious point. They're changing the game we all watch based on a whim that they've decided in a room in Aberdeen and we've all just got to put up with it. Where's the accountability for this? Were the players consulted on this? It's experts in the field. It's experts in the laws of the game. Now, listen, listen. At the moment, where it it stands prior to this season, deliberate handball, you know yourself, that is an absolute nightmare trying to 
decide what is deliberate and what's not. It's so subjective. This actually, contrary to what a lot of people say, and clears it up. If the ball hits your hand in the box... Clearer doesn't doesn't mean better. Well, that's true. Clearer doesn't necessarily mean better. But I think let's see this over the course of a season and see what happens. Listen... I totally accept. I may change my mind at the end of the season. If we're seeing th- if we're seeing three penalties a game, I may change my mind on this. However, at the moment, as I've said before, I think this encourages attacking play. I think it encourages people to throw balls in the box. I think it encourages people to get forward more because you're much more likely to get a penalty. Now, Gaby, under the previous rules, if you go into the box, if you're David Beckham, you've got a terrific cross. So you know that nine times out of ten, you're, you're a player that's going to hit somebody's head with a cross a bit like Tam McManus with you the other day yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but that's another, that's another story um, which we'll get to Gaby will write that piece shortly folks um, but say you're a David Beckham terrific quality going to get the ball in someone's head and somebody has an arm flailing out and it hits them that's a direct opportunity to score a goal that's been foiled through no fault of that attacking player but is it the fault of the defensive player if it's not intentional well, it's, the onus is on the defensive player to make sure that they don't have any flailing arms now. So you can't organise the defence anymore because you can't point. We learned that in the Champions League final. You can't point. So if you're a centre-back, you can't tell your full-back to go out to the ball because the forward's just going to kick the ball off your arm and it'll be a penalty. Well, you've got to be clever about it. and I think, But I think that's a decent point. And I think if we get to the end of the season and we're seeing that that's an insurmountable thing to get over, then fair enough. But... For me, it was a penalty. I think we should. It was probably a penalty under the rules. I'm not yeah, disagreeing yeah, yeah. with that. I think we should probably get on back to the, the women's football. I was uh, just game. about to suggest this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a crazy idea. Let's talk a little bit about the Scotland women's football team and the game that they played. Um, before I get my baseball out, exactly. baseball bat out for uh, <laughs> for it's a pure square goal. Ayrshire, Ayrshire's most obdurate man. <laughs> like, yeah, well, but, well, with the actual team itself, I mean, obviously the penalty, as Gaby said, it did kind of ruin the game a little bit. Did they look uh, a bit nervous at first? For the first half, especially, and run about the penalty and after it. I mean, how, how do you think they went? Looked at the start, Gaby. Yeah, I think they'd be disappointed with the first half performance. I thought they went they went too direct too often. They were going long trying to get it to Erin Cuthbert, which is not exactly the tallest. England were completely in control. You know, the penalty aside, they were well worth the lead at half time, and I think Scotland would be disappointed with that first half performance. They were a lot better in the second half. They had some really nice passing moves. You might have to say not to take anything away from Scotland, that maybe England sort of stepped off the gas a bit. You saw after Scotland scored, they never really had another chance, and England had a couple of half chances after that. So there's maybe an element of. Uh, England taking the foot off the gas but it can only be seen as progress given that the last time we played England in a tournament it was 6-0 and that you know it was a very even game yesterday albeit with a disappointing first half performance I thought very much so I mean Johnny obviously I mean they, they did they certainly did the second half they said they come back really strong much stronger a lot more confident I mean they can take a lot for that surely well they were rubbish in the first half I mean they had a keeper don't to, mention words they had a keeper to thank for not being 5-0 down England had two goals disallowed Let's not get too right on and crazy about this because it's, you know, women's football has come a long way and the women's national team has come a long way. That was a poor first half performance, an extremely poor, a dreadful first half performance. And uh, they have to get a lot better because while England are a very, very good side, third ranked in the world, Japan are seventh. So they're they're not that big uh, a step down. So I think they'll have to be a lot better. As Gaby said, they improved massively in the second half. Um, but you saw Phil Neville at the end of the game. He was absolutely raging with his players. And that says to me that it was less about Scotland's quality and more about the way that England performed in that second half. Because literally, they could have blown Scotland away. It could have been 6-0 again. 
Um, so I think a difficult road ahead. If they can go and beat Japan, though, you know, it'll all be forgotten about and that'll be a tremendous result. And then you're going up against Argentina, who are 37th in the world. They're a team Scotland should be beating. And you've got a terrific chance at that point of qualifying from this group. I mean, I, don't, I think the fact that this is going back, harking back to the World Cups of the, the early 90s, where third position in the group actually can qualify if they're one of the better performing uh, sides. So if they get a draw against Japan and score a few goals against Argentina, very, very good chance of going through. And miss out, definitely. I mean, where do, where do, where do they take for this game? I think well, what they've got to take from it is the second half performance. They played some really nice football. It was a really well-worked goal uh, just before that. I think Lisa Evans had a lovely wee reverse ball that kind of cut the England defence apart. So I think there is clearly a lot of attacking talent going forward. I think they didn't get Cuthbert on the ball enough. Uh, she had one shot in the first half, uh, but she wasn't as involved. She liked to be, I think she's certainly the the star player, if you like, for the team. So I think going forward, certainly against Japan, you want to get her a bit more involved. I think... Uh, from what I've heard, Japan are kind of a bit less physically imposing than England, so you think that might suit Scotland. Uh, they might be able to get on the ball a bit more. They might be able to bring some of those good attacking players into the game. Uh, but obviously, again, it's a big challenge. Japan uh, reached the final in the last tournament. Uh, they were beaten by the US, but they're obviously one of the, the better sides out there. Uh, so it's a big challenge. One thing that we've seen is that Scotland have a decent goalkeeper. The last European Championships, the women's side played, um, Gemma Faye was in goal. I went to school with Gemma Faye, a lovely girl, uh, I didn't think she had a very good game against England that time. There was at least three goals she was at fault for. But I thought Lee Alexander made some terrific saves. We were talking about it earlier before we started. The first one in particular, Connor, I think the, the girls blasted it from about six yards. Great save with her feet. And uh, there was another one when she was going the wrong way and had to sort of reverse her, her body position to get back, which was an excellent save. So that's a big positive for Scotland because if you have a good goalkeeper at a tournament, that can make a hell of a difference. We saw that with uh, when we had Andy Gorham and Jim Leighton, you know, were a, were a big factor in getting Scotland to these kind of tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what do you think can happen here? Then, is, do they have enough in their locker to get that, say, third qualification slot? Can they get through? Well, it comes down to this game against Japan, doesn't yeah. it? Because you've yeah. got to expect that they're going to dispatch Argentina. I mean, I'm sure Argentina are a decent side. But if you're going by the rankings, and obviously I've not seen Argentina play, I don't know. I can, I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know. But if you if you're going by the rankings, you have to assume that that that's a team that Scotland will, can beat. That's your banker. So it comes down to this twentieth position in the world rankings against seventh. Now Japan have had a good record in women's football for 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 decades, two decades. So they are a team that has the experience of these kind of cutthroat ties in top level championships. That might be the difference. But you know what? As I say, Scotland, they, they only really need to get a draw. And then it's one or takes all against Argentina. You would hope, obviously, if results go against them. And that's traditionally the Scottish way, isn't <laughs> Scottish it? It's way. a glorious failure. <laughs> but I think that would be a terrific result for them. A narrow defeat to England, who are the third best side in the world. A draw against Japan and a win against Argentina. You'd be saying that's massive progress. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the best third-ranked side, though, isn't it? So you maybe already, because uh, Italy beat Australia, which wasn't expected, so they've already kind of got a bit of a spanner in the works, perhaps setting up a classic Scottish heartbreak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to happen, isn't it? It's going to happen, you know what? Okie dokie, well, moving on, eh, that other Scotland team played on Saturday night as well, obviously, when Steve Clark's mob took on Cyprus. Um, purely from a points perspective, it was a must-win game for us, but it was also a bit of a stone, a bit of pride, a bit of confidence in the future as well. I mean, how do you think that worked out, Gaby? 
I think it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a brilliant performance, but I think it was a decent enough performance. Uh, a lot, I know a lot of people were unhappy with the performance, but it's quite easy to forget. This is a team that was getting battered three 0 by Kazakhstan a few months ago. They barely scraped past San Marino. I thought, apart from an opening nervy ten minutes, I thought Scotland were completely in control of the game. They never really looked like conceding until they conceded a daft goal on a set piece. Some nice combinations, particularly down the left. The final ball wasn't great at times, but I thought they were thought they were well organised, totally in control of the game. And yeah, it was it wasn't great, but I think we won, which is the important thing to do. And I think maybe it was, you know it sort of served as a bit of a a warm up for the Belgium game, perhaps. Uh, I know people are complaining about the kind of lack of pressing, but I think maybe that's Clark trying to impose a system. He's got two games, and I think you know you don't get much time with the players. He's probably trying to impose a bit of the the approach that they'll take against Belgium. Brophy was pressing. Yeah, he um, was. It was strange because he was, seemed to be the only one doing it. He the, didn't seem to. I think the two wingers looked to me like they were trying to cut out the space. So rather than press mm. really high up onto their men, they were trying to sort of um, press on the centre half who had the ball. Obviously, they didn't. Clark didn't think the centre halves were very good in the ball, the Cypriots. Yeah. And uh, to actually just close down the space. And Scotland picked up the ball a few times from that, but they didn't do that sort of Liverpool every man, man for man press that we see so often now. Um, I thought Scotland had moments where they looked decent and taking on Gaby's point I heard a lot of people complaining on social media or I saw a lot of people complaining on social media about the fact that Cyprus had more, more of the ball against Scotland and I saw people calling for four four two and stuff like that people need to get real and realise how bad we actually are we are not in a, in a position where we can say we're going to go two against three in midfield I don't even think people like England and Italy can do that anymore the, the, the game's much more tactical um, and I just don't think that'll work You always get overrun And I think Steve Clark was absolutely right to say We're going to sit in, we're going to keep it tight We're going to have a look at what this separate team's like And then we're going to come out That's what Alex McLeish should have done against Kazakhstan I don't know if he got slightly carried away with himself With all these people telling him how good John McGinn is How good X, Y and Z are for Scotland I think there's a lot of players in the Scotland team who are a little bit overrated. I thought McGinn was poor on Saturday. Uh, McGinn was he poor was. again. Now, he's a, he's a good player. He was terrific in Scotland. And I, I, I'm not saying I don't like John McGinn as a player. He's a very, very good player. But I'm not sure he's quite there at international no, level. I've, I've never seen him perform for Scotland. Now, he's obviously performed in England. He got Villa's player of the season. So I haven't seen as much of him since he's been in England. Yeah. But, he, you know, he was very good for St. Mirren. He was very good for Hibs. He's obviously doing well at Villa. But I've never seen him have a good game for Scotland. For me, Scott McTominay needs to play. And he needs to play in that holding role because he's a big lad, he's a big unit, he's very elegant on the ball, moves the ball forward quickly. And then the two players in front of him, to me, one of them needs to be Stuart Armstrong. Yeah. Because Armstrong is class. He gets forward, he makes dynamic runs, he's got a great engine, he can score a goal. Then it is who plays alongside him. Who would you have in there, Gaby? I I might I might have uh, McGinn as the the third one. I'm not sure. I definitely I agree with you. I'd have McTominay in there, uh, and I'd have Armstrong. Uh, and then I think it's either McGregor or McGinn you're going for. I, I thought McLean was quite poor as well on uh, on Saturday. Uh, I've, I've, I've never particularly seen what people see in him. I don't think he's particularly. I think he's sort of jack of all trades, master of none kind of player. I think he's very good at Scottish Premier League level, yeah, Scottish but, Premiership level. But maybe when you're talking about the international step up in yeah. terms of quality. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I say I think he's, I think he's sort of decent at everything, but brilliant at nothing. And uh, so I, I think he's a worthwhile player to have in the squad. But is he a starting international midfielder? Not, not for me. Is Callum McGregor not another one of those? For me, I love Callum McGregor as a player. I think he is, in my opinion, one of the top three players in Scotland. Uh, 
the way he interprets space, the way he moves the ball, all terrific. I don't think, though, you can play Callum McGregor as that Pirlo-style register for Scotland. I thought he was our best midfielder on Saturday, though. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, but I don't think he's, his best position is in a central three, where he's got a lot of defensive work to do as well. He's got to get behind the ball. I think he works better as a number 10, or even if you're going to play him white. Yeah, well, that um, was a lot of the best combinations came when he kind of came out left, Robertson was getting forward, and you had Fraser on the left. Yeah. There was a lot of nice combinations down that side when McGregor did come over to the left. But that, that, to me, that's a problem because Ryan Fraser is an absolute cert now, a stick-on. I thought he was absolutely terrific and obviously he's playing at such a high level that teams like Arsenal are coming in for him. Um, how do you solve that conundrum? Do you just keep McGregor in left centre midfield? I think, certainly after Saturday's performance, you think you've got to because I say I think he was the best of the three midfielders who played. Uh, I'd, I'd be putting McTominay in and I'd be putting Armstrong in mm-hmm. and if I'm dropping two players then McGregor's not one of them based on Saturday's performance I think going forward yes you might have to adjust things and he might even drop him because you know there'll be a lot more defending to do against Belgium but based on that performance I think he's the only one I thought who kind of got past marks in the middle of the park on Saturday Absolutely, absolutely. And obviously Andy Robertson showed his class as well. I mean, is that the kind of leadership that we need that we're kind of missing from that, you know, that, that team for quite a while that sort of guy that can drag the game along when it's kind of well, he certainly stood up and uh, made his, uh, his individual moment of brilliance count, didn't he? Um, but at the same time... He didn't pick up his man on yeah, the corner. Yeah. Exactly, that's where I'm going with yes. yeah. um, So, So he had a bit of a, mixed. a... It was a mixed bag. <laughs> but do you know what? Um, I actually absolve him slightly for, for, for blame there because for me, I don't think you should have the left back in the central area like that. Um, I don't know if Steve Clark. I think he went man for man, mostly. Yeah, well, I think that was a function of the man marking system that they were playing. He got dragged in there because his man went, and then as you can see with man marking, it happens a lot. Yeah, you get caught in a tangle. One player gets free, and in a man marking system, if one person's not got their man, it's a disaster, which yeah. is obviously what happened there. I'm not saying that you know man marking or zonal marking either can work if they're done well, but in that specific situation, I think we saw one of the limitations of man marking. Well, Willie Miller, when I spoke to him for a, a defensive piece that I did for Football Scotland, talked about the great Aberdeen team under Alex Ferguson had a mix between zonal and man marking. So Willie Miller would man mark, but Alex McLeish was the zonal guy, and he would stay in that six-yard box area. Anything comes in there, that's the danger zone, that's the pomo, the position of maximum opportunity. <laughs> Um, if you've got an Alex McLeish or someone like that in there to head the ball away, it gives you both, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Clark might want to think about that, but you know, Stevie Clark knows more about football tactics than I do. So, <laughs> Sir Steve, yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously, eighty-seven minutes in, as we said, I mean, Robertson, eighty-seven minutes in, it looked like an absolute disaster. I mean, would that have been a disaster if it ended <sighs> like that? Oh. Would that have been what would what would that have done? Oh, it's 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 done and dusted. It's yeah. it's. I mean, it's all. Let's be honest. It's done already. Oh. The Kazakhstan three yeah. 0 yeah. defeat. You're you're not going to overcome that unless you beat Russia home and away. Yeah. Um. Or it's extremely difficult to overcome that. Uh, and you've seen Kazakhstan's results since. They've been dreadful. Yeah. Um. So I think it's really, really, really difficult. I I wouldn't go as far as to say it's. It, 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 no, it, I it's over. I can't imagine any. I can't imagine Scotland qualifying. It's so just about for preparing me, for the playoffs over. now, isn't it? It is. But to have started off Steve Clark's campaign um, when he was so full of uh, back, there was so much backing for him. To have started off with a, a, a draw to Cyprus, it, it would have just been 
really, really, really bad. So it was essential, I think, that, that they got forward and managed to get the goal. I thought the performance, as we've been discussing, was was a bit of a mixed bag, but you've got to expect that when a manager comes in and takes over a new bunch of players. Um, I mean, the big th- the big talking point for me is who plays up front. Yeah, well, that leads us on nicely to Ollie Burke. The you've, all, you've always rated Ollie Burke, Jules, I have. I've, I've rated, I wouldn't say what I've rated him. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did feel, um, obviously my phone exploded uh, when, when that goal went in the other night, uh, not just from folk here, but from other people as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, the enigma. Um, I mean, does he need a technical manager like Rodgers or Clark to fill up that hard drive as was mentioned before? Um, he, he started well with Celtic, briefly. Um, he got his goals, he done that, then you know it became the Oliver that we knew, and all of a sudden last you know that that game there, not only did they do that header that came off, but he was quick enough and get it on target. The sort of thing he completely missed. Plus playing with Celtic recently from the same thing. I mean, yeah. explain. Well, yeah, even then I think it's a ball into the box as a header. Now he was always going to be more equipped to win that kind of header than Brophy because he's a bigger guy than he is. I mean, I think that the f- crossing from wide was poor uh, in the first half. I thought especially. But even if they'd been good, is Brophy the man you want on that against those three big centre-backs? And Buck was obviously far more equipped to do that. I still thought, actually, when he came on, he had a few really sort of bad touches, sort of poor movement. I, I still, I'm still not sure what he offers other than being big, strong and quick. But I could see him starting against Belgium because we'll be under the caution, you think, hoping to look on the break. And he would probably be the kind of guy that, you know, he can get you up the park and he'll give them something to think about, at least physically, if not uh, technically. Or mentally. Uh, Johnny, would you say he starts over Brophy for you? Oh, yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, I thought Bro- Brophy was really, really poor. Uh, as Gaby said, it wasn't his game. Scotland were trying to get to the byline, cross balls in. They had big centre-halves. It just wasn't the right tactical approach for me. I, th- I thought Brophy should have come off at half-time. But Oliver Burke, when he came on, he made a big impact. You're absolutely right. He's not the complete article, the finished article. He's not the complete picture of a player. But I actually think Brendan Rodgers had it right. I think Brendan Rodgers looked at him and thought, there's a centre-forward in there. Uh, His crossing's too erratic for the wings for me. He doesn't make the kind of runs I think you need to make. He doesn't have that game intelligence uh, yet. But I think you look at him, he's a big, strong guy. What is he, 6'2", 6'3"? Yeah, something like that. Um, He's lightning quick and he's very, very strong. And you saw that leap that he can get up with the best of them. So... For me, he's a player that really can become a really terrific number nine if he's given the opportunity. But like anyone else of that age, it's all about game time. And he's going from club to club on loans at the moment. West Brom don't appear to want him. They spent big money on him. You know, he fell out of favour at Celtic. He needs to go somewhere where he's going to get played every single week so he can learn his position. I heard someone say in another podcast, I thought that can't be true, but they said that that he'd only actually started... 10 games um, across his career um, now that that can't be right no because he started a few for not in not Forest, Forest, yeah. about 15 but this was on uh, this was on another podcast but irrespective of whether or not that stats right he's not played anywhere near enough for the age he is and if you're talking about hard drives not being full you can probably attribute it to that now name any player at Hamilton that's under 20 they'll have 200, 200 games under their belt a lot of the time so I think Ollie Burke needs to go out I think actually West Brom could do a lot worse than send them on loan to someone like Hibs or Hearts. Someone where he will play every Great. single week in the position that they want him, want him to play and then see what he can do. Because I think he'll just go on loan to another championship side. He'll not play that often. He'll come in and he'll go out and he'll come in and he'll go out. 
he needs that that level of a run in the team. And I think if he does, then Scotland could have a, a terrific player on their hands. But he's a he's a wee bit away. Just a little bit, yeah, just a little bit. Uh, well, just to get a close up on the obviously, I mean, Steve Clark only had a few training sessions before that game, um, as we could see with what we saw in the pitch. I mean, how much I help that have been to get that Cyprus under their belt before they, they take on Belgium next week? I think it's really important. I think, as Johnny said, if it had been a draw, it had been a disaster, it immediately sucks the enthusiasm away. I think that one, the fact we, we conceded and then got that late goal, it almost kind of gave more enthusiasm than if we just held on to the 1-0. I think it, it kind of gave gave everyone that sort of out-of-your-seat moment uh, when it happened. It'll build the enthusiasm. Belgium, there's no beating around the bush. We'll probably get beaten <laughs> by them. It's a very, very difficult game. We saw Clark at Kilmarnock. He knows how to set up against the bigger teams and we got really good results against Rangers and Celtic, but it's a huge ass to go and play. I think they're ranked number one in the world, Belgium, aren't they? Yep. So according to FIFA, however seriously we want to take that, to go and play the best team in the world after you know a, a week and a bit with the players, it's going to be very difficult. Walter Smith had a very similar situation when he took over as Scotland manager. He had to go to Italy in the San Siro. Uh, Gabe wrote an excellent piece about um, Paul Hartley's experience of playing against Pirlo. And that game was decided by two moments of genius by a player who is in the elite level. The problem that we have going to Belgium, even though we have a manager now like Walter Smith, who can organise, who can make us tough to beat, Belgium have players that can put the ball in the net from 30 yards quite comfortably. I don't know the fitness levels of De Bruyne and Hazard and people like that. But, if but even guys- if you get them, you've got Mertens, you've got Lukaku, you've got Tielemans, you've got, you've got so many players who can change a game. Exactly. Yeah. So many players that can just turn a game like a flash. So I think it'll be very difficult for Scotland to get out. And if, I'll tell you what, if they get a draw... Oh, unbelievable! Right unbelievable! Old, old, old buses. Unbelievable! Well, I wouldn't go that far, but unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, moving on. It's not all international football here. Moving on for the teams in the dark blue, the teams in the light blue. Rangers are closing in on Ryan Kent, which will be music to a lot of fans' ears. Um, but they've also brought in John Jones. They've brought in Jake Hester. They've got Daniel Kendias. They've got Glenn Middleton, and they're in for a loan deal for Liverpool's Cheryl Ojo. Johnny, um, well, just just repeat that again. What was that last one? Cheryl Ojo. <laughs> It's you not, it's, you're getting there, you're getting there, you're getting I there. I think you called him Cheryl first. Yeah, that's, Cheryl. that's what I thought. I thought you said Cheryl Lojo. Did I say a Cheryl Lojo? <laughs> a Cheryl Lojo? <laughs> well, get that pronunciation Get sorted. that, yeah, 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 sorted. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to try it, obviously. No, no, it's, it's yeah, yeah. almost possible. They're closing a loan deal for Liverpool's Cheryl Lojo. <laughs> no, I can't even do Lojo either. You say, it makes you sound drunk when you say it. <laughs> well, it makes me. <laughs> They're going for a Liverpool winger. They're yeah. going for a Liverpool winger. How what's, do you, how what's do you get question? through this day, Johnny? God almighty. Uh, the question is, uh, Stevie G likes a winger, obviously. I mean, talk, you know. Well, it's obvious what, what he's trying to do. Listen, Rangers need creativity in the final third. They need better than what they have in the final third. He will have looked across the whole season and said, right, where are the issues with this team? Where are the areas that we can uh, improve? And uh, I think when you look at Daniel Kandias, he was excellent, not last season, but the season before. But under Gerard, I think he's been up and down. He's not quite been the same player as he was uh, under Pedro Cusina, bizarrely enough. Um, and I think that's, that's probably just down to the fact he's now, I think he's now 30 or 31. He's, you know, it's getting old for a winger. And he works his backside off uh, Candias, but his quality is intermittent. Um, if Rangers can get Ryan Kent, that is a sensational coup that will be a massive, massive um, part of Rangers' season going forward. And uh, they will think, well, we know we've got quality on the left. Who can also play on the right, to be fair. And then it'll be up to one of these guys, be it Hasty, be it Jones, be it Candias, 
uh, be it Middleton, I know there's discussion about him going on loan, and I think he should actually go on loan because he's a very talented young man. But he needs, he needs, like we were discussing about Oliver Burke, more first team action. Um, but but uh, Gaby's probably the person to ask. You've watched a lot of Kilmarnock. Do you think Jordan Jones is Rangers quality? Because that's the big question. I think I think it depends what you're looking at. If you're looking at he is in terms of players in the division, left wingers. He, you know, I think he had the most dribbles per ninety minutes last season. He beat his man the most times. I think the issue if you're playing for Rangers is teams will sit in, they'll sit deep, and he won't get to use that pace he has. He won't be able to get in behind a lot of the time at Kilmarnock. You know, even if he wasn't scoring or assisting goals I've seen Rangers fans sort of looking at his scoring and assisting I don't think that's necessarily the point of what he was doing in that system it was that he's quick and he's good at dribbling and he can get you up the park at Rangers you're not going to be having to do that you'll be on the front foot most times and you you won't have that space to run into and I think that would be that would be the concern for him I mean he came off the bench for Northern Ireland set up a goal at the weekend I don't think anybody's saying he's not a good player but to play to play for Rangers in the system they play when you're going to be on the front foot most of the times, I think there would be some concerns about that. I think there'd be some concerns about Hasty as well, who's obviously a good young player, but he's essentially had one good month since he, when he came back from Allo at Motherwell and got that move. So I think both of those players don't offer the guarantees that Kent does. We've seen what he did this season. We know that he can perform in that team for that manager in this league, where you couldn't say the same about Jones and Hasty. I wouldn't say. Absolutely. I mean, do you think they actually get Kent though? This is the issue. They may seem to be closing in, but it's it's been an ongoing. It's up to Liverpool at the end of the day. I mean, I I don't see how a championship side um, who will have looked at the last four or five years um, will look at his one season at Rangers and say, "Well, there's a twelve million pound player." Um, I think they would want to see more because he did fail at Bristol City in the championship. I mean. Um, people describe him as Bristol City flop in the local press down there <laughs> um, so that tells its own story um, for me I can see the logic in Liverpool saying listen he loves it there he's had a load of failed loan moves what's the harm in him staying up here for another year he's still got another two years left in his contract after that if he has a storming season now that he's settled in now that he knows the team now he knows the way Gerard wants to play he's used to the city He's, he knows he's going to be the main man, he's under pressure, and he's going to go out there and deliver, then they could say, well, you know, he, he might go for 15, 20 million. Um, or, or we might be able to get 12 million for him. Um, but it seems like it's all going to be down to the fact Jurgen Klopp wants to have a look at him, first of all, in, in the pre-season training games, um, uh, the friendly matches, and then probably how much interest there actually is. I know people have talked about Leeds, Um but I suppose if if you're Ryan Kent, I would imagine you're probably looking at Rangers and going, oh, "I really liked it there. I've had all this um, tumult in my in my in my professional life so far, moving from club to club to club. I finally found somewhere that I I like. I want to go back there." You can see why he'd want to go back. It just depends what Liverpool get offered because, let's face facts, Ryan Kent was no, is never going to get in that Liverpool team. No, no, absolutely if, not. If someone does offer the £12 million, I'm sure they'd sell him there. Yeah. Rangers can't compete with that kind of money. So it would be a great signing for Rangers and I'm sure Rangers fans will be hoping it gets over the line. But as Johnny says, I think it entirely depends on what interests out there for him. Definitely. Do you know what I think as well? I mean, £12 million up here, obviously that's like a big amount of money for a player up here. That's the record, isn't it? Tori Andre Flo was £12 12.5 million. 12.5 million. 500,000 more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is a lot of money up here. Championship money though. 
I mean, they, 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 well, they rattled that money out for really mediocre oh, players. Do you know what I mean, Ross, Ross McCormack, he was a twelve million pound player. Brett Asamalonga <sighs> went from Nottingham Forest uh, for fifteen million and has barely been heard of since. <sighs> I mean, there's serious dough going yeah, down yeah. there. So it's not unrealistic, maybe that Ryan Kent could get a, that twelve million if that's what they were asking for him. It's not unrealistic that somebody could just you know. I still think it's a lot of money down there. It is still think it's a lot of money, and I still think Ryan Kent has got issues in his game he's not the finished article the, th- the thing is a lot of people look at his performances against Celtic and go wow he's, he's some player but to be honest any Rangers fan who's been watching his performances over the course of the season will say he's always terrific in the big games what he needs to do is bring up his level now against the Livingstons against the uh, Hibs against Aberdeens against the other clubs uh, in the division because he's been great against Celtic every time and he's really shown the quality he has but again is that like we discussed with Jordan Jones against Celtic and the European ties Ryan Kent's got a lot of space to run into he's got terrific quick feet he's very skillful but for me he needs to get more assists and he needs to get more goals and if he adds that to his game then Liverpool have got an unbelievable option on their hands maybe in a year's time I think he'll sign for Rangers I think it's on definitely yep Gaby? Uh, I wouldn't I, like I to make a prediction. Uh, <laughs> Do you so, love a prediction? Uh, not, 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 not on this. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, yeah. I'm going to say, no, he won't. Just uh, to disagree with you. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. That was, I'll just take the hint, man. <laughs> right, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm. Just in time to make your daily work commute that wee bit more bearable. You can get more of us at the Football Scotland website or on our social media channels on Facebook or on Twitter at football underscore Scott. To ask a question, make a comment to us individually, or just give us pelters for being biased against your team, whatever that team might be. You can get me on at Captain underscore Howdy, Johnny on at Johnny R. McFarlane, and Gaby on at Gaby McKay. Cheers for listening, we'll get you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>